Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I talk to another inspiring entrepreneur, Maggie Patton. Maggie is the co-founder of Bitsy's, a healthy snack food company for kids that has a real heart for doing good. We talk about how and why she made the leap to entrepreneurship, how she juggles being a mom of four while also running a business, and of course, how they survived 2020 and their big plans for 2021. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. All right, I'm super excited about this uh, because I get to catch up with my good friend, Maggie. Why don't you tell us, Maggie, who you are and what you do so we can get started? Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting me on, Jeff. Um, my name is Maggie Jones Patton, and I am co-founder of an organic children's food business called Bitsy's. Um, I'm also a mom of four, and yeah, just rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, a four with some pretty little ones. Yes, I yeah. have ten-year-old, eight-year-old, four-year-old, and seventeen-month-old. My goodness. Well, we'll get into how you how you do that because um, because your your husband is also very busy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that. But I was trying to remember, did we meet at a conscious capitalism event? We did many many years ago. Yes, I had just moved back to Atlanta from New York because I did grow up here in Atlanta, and our mutual friend Elaine, who you've had on the show, was gathering mm -hmm. a little conscious capitalism breakfast together. And I, I think it was like the first time that I ventured out of newborn mode because we, we moved back to Atlanta 10 days after I had my third. And yes, that breakfast was like such a great, I was like, oh, adult humans, other than my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great, I mean, such a great group of people. I think, um, actually, I think Paul Snyder might've been in that meeting. Um, I met some great people that were at that. And of course it all it all comes back to Elaine in one way, shape, or form in, in this town, I think. Yes, agreed. So um, so then we got to know each other. And I remember when, I don't know how it happened. I think I think I came home and asked my wife if she'd ever heard of Bitsy's. Um, and she was looked at me like, are you insane? And, and I was like, why are you looking at me like that? And so she walked me into our pantry. And we had so much of your product in our pantry. And then suddenly 
it was like I was hanging out with a celebrity, uh, according to Emily. So that was a big moment because normally I tell her, like, I can tell her, yeah, the, the CMO of Coca-Cola and she doesn't care. But you were the one she was like, when are you seeing Maggie again and asking me questions? <laughs> you entered the mom sphere, the pantry mom sphere. Yeah, it was it was very cool. So anyways, for, for those that have not tried, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's a it's a fantastic product. I enjoy them. So I know it's for kids, but they're super tasty and obviously healthy. So we'll we'll get into that. Here here's the question I want to start with. Um, is it fair to say that most of your career before starting the company was spent in nonprofits or foundations or essentially, you know, in, in the uh, not for profit world? Yes, it is. So I um, spent a number of years mostly working in the children's children development space and nonprofit. Yeah. And so here's my question for you to start. I always am very um, curious and inspired um, by people who I know to be super talented, passionate, hardworking, can lead, can build things that decide to use their skills and powers, as I call them, for good. So what was it? How did you come out of college? How did you come out of being a young person and almost immediately say, I've got to help children in this case? Where did that come from? Well, I will say I didn't immediately go into nonprofit. I actually spent a year doing improv comedy in Los Angeles. It's a little known fact, but I was um, tutoring on the side and um, I was an English and theater major in college. And I think I just always had this feeling about, you know, my passion was sort of understanding other people's stories and empathy. I think empathy is my passion um, or my word. And um so I actually went to work at a film studio briefly. And while I was there, one of my friend's fathers had cancer. And I just started thinking oh, also about just children going through cancer. And I really, I don't know, I wasn't finding my path working in the film industry. And I just always had had a passion for working with kids. And I started having these ideas around not-for-profits. Not for and um, how can you turn a, a you know, a challenging time into a blessing, which is pretty apropos for mm -hmm. a period of COVID, I guess, like finding the silver linings, finding the way to make those moments in life have good come out of them. Um, so I had this idea for a not-for-profit at the time around children's cancer. And um, a friend of mine said, you know what, you actually need to meet my mom who works at Children's Aid Society. And you don't even know what you're getting into the idea of starting a not-for-profit. Why don't you go work for one first? So I went there and actually my first week on the job, I got a job as the manager of volunteer services and they had about 150 different volunteer programs. And I loved that because I actually wrote my college admissions essay on how volunteerism would define the 21st century. So mm -hmm. that was my essay topic. So I was very into this. Um, anyways, my boss brought me into her office and said, okay, so I know you just started at this job, but... I need to tell you that I'm leaving at the end of the week because I've been on the wait list to adopt a baby and we're adopting a child this week. So this probably is yeah. an story for you. But so there was, you know, 23 year old me or 22 year old me. And I was like, okay, wow. So anyway, so she left, it was kind of a baptism by fire kind of situation. And I just loved it. I loved my time at children's aid society, which 
if you don't know that organization, it's the oldest and largest children's welfare organization in, in our, in our country. So it was really the beginning of boys and girls clubs. And, um, it actually grew out of, which is kind of a controversial story, but the orphan trains were mm-hmm. way back when. So that was the beginning of kind of children's welfare in our country, but it has a long, long history from building community schools to, um, different centers and medical dental services, a whole vast array of different things. So anyway, so I was just getting to dabble in a lot of different support services for children. Um, and that experience, I think of working with the kids and knowing how much the experience of volunteering and giving had given me purpose in my life. And, um, I felt like, you know what, I don't really love this model where from day one, these kids are sort of like always the recipient of service instead of empowered by service. Mm. Maybe it was the Atlantan and me and the MLK, you know, but the, like everybody can be great because everybody can serve um, peace. And I was like, you know what? I really want to create these service learning programs where the kids are more involved in the youth service and they see themselves as, you know what? I can make a difference in my own world and I can impact the lives of others. So that was sort of, the journey and ended up going over to another nonprofit called children for children and had an amazing opportunity to be executive director there. Um, which was also ultimately actually acquired by Michelle Nunn mm. another all roads back to Atlanta Yeah, and hands on network and points of light Institute after they had just merged to become their youth arm. So, um, that was kind of my nonprofit journey, but you know, I, I loved every second of it. I think it is, it is challenging. You don't realize too, I think as you're having children and you're on that path, sometimes maybe what you're setting yourself up for financially as well. So mm-hmm. startup seems like a good idea. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> ability would have been better and not for profit, but anyway. well, you'll get there. You'll get there. Um, but I, I still am curious though. Like if you look back on your, let's say your childhood, um, was there a person in your life that you saw that sort of, you know, empathetic uh, view of the world or that was helping others? Was it just part of your upbringing? Did you just get it magically from, <laughs> from something else? Where did it come from? Um, I think it starts in preschool, you know, the early foundations of how you look at the world and yourself in it. And I have to say, I mean, I, I went to Glen Memorial over by Emory mm-hmm. and um, it was at the time, um, actually a woman, I, her name was Mrs. Mallard, I think was the head of the preschool, but a lot of wives of like theology professors at the time ran that preschool and I guess it was 1979, you know, and they all were in like muumuu dresses with like ukuleles. And um, we were, you know, having, they, they just really, that preschool really did give me this perspective on the world. I feel like our school t-shirt said, have you hugged me today? You know, it was just a very like open hearted, um, our, our school holiday was serendipity day, you know, when you have that word serendipity and just even like, it just celebrated a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, so I, I truly like, I really credit that school for shaping my outlook on the world. And I, I think preschool does really shape your outlook on the world. I love that so much. You know, when people ask me like my hopes for my children, the number one thing I say is that I want them to be empathetic humans. 
mm-hmm. um, whether they go into nonprofits, for profits, whatever they want to do, if they are, have the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes, they'll always be more aware of their own privilege and um, look for ways like you have done both in for and nonprofit to make the world a better place. And that's, that's sort of all I hope. So I'll have to think about their preschool time. Yes. No, I, I, I know what you mean. And I think it's, I feel very similarly, although I also think I would add for my kids, my other wish is really optimism. And I, I think that that actually, as much as empathy shaped my probably path into not-for-profit and into being an entrepreneur, because, yeah. and that I will say comes from my dad. And um, he always had a poster in his office and I have it in our office. Um, that is this great poster. He was an electrical engineer and it had all these different light bulbs and I can read it to you, but um, it starts with a light bulb that says, I have an idea and it's fully bright. And then it kind of has all the things that people say to you. So the next light bulb says a word of caution and the light bulb goes slightly dimmer. And the next light bulb says a little too radical and the light bulb goes slightly dimmer. And then the next one is I like it myself, but slightly dimmer. We tried something like that just, you know, once before, dimmer again. Let me play devil's advocate. It's just not us. I wish it were that easy. And then it ends with, oh, it was just an idea and it's darkness. And that always just like stuck with me as a kid, you know, and it was like, just, I don't know. I think, I think optimism with, with empathy is a good combination. I love it. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that as well. I think you're right. And so that leads to the optimistic idea of maybe I'll start a startup. So tell me how that happened and, and how you met your partner and what the idea for the company was. Yes. So um, we had started a program. So Children for Children, the mission was to empower kids through service to address problems in the world that impacted themselves and, you know, and also the world around them. And one of the big issues that we saw was childhood obesity and children's health. And we built a curriculum um, that was kindergarten through eighth grade, really focused on making healthy eating fun. And I think just at the time, we kind of said, you know what, it's, looking at the different studies out there, just so much of the bad food targets kids very specifically and uses the tools that we know engage kids, whether it's the cartoons or the games or television. Um, there's just a lot of studies even from the CDC on children's cereal and sugar. And so we said, you know what, why isn't there a kid's food brand that actually does right by kids and puts kids first and starts with the idea of like, what do they need for healthy brain development. How can they have fun with the food? How can we just, you know, make it better for everybody? And um, that was really, you know, that was kind of the inspiration. And it just, honestly, it kind of popped in my head one day walking to the subway after work. And I I think I'd just been reflecting. At the time, I was sort of realizing living in Manhattan that in my head, I was thinking, you know, we're going to have kids, Al and I, even though we weren't even married yet, but I was just kind of like, how are we going to do all this? And maybe I should start a business. And I think I just was kind of searching for that idea. And then one day it kind of came out of the experience. So yeah, it's just so remarkable to me because it's, you know, it must be one of the harder type of businesses to start, especially when you have no experience. I'm presuming no connections in food processing or anything of that nature. No. 
um, it was pretty much a crazy idea, um, which I think is, is if my business partner, Alex, were on the phone, she'd say that I, I say I have a crazy idea at least once a day, probably. But um, this was definitely in the crazy idea category. And um, thankfully, I mean, Alex, so I have two co-founders now, that, which have our second one, our third one joined more recently. But um, Alex and I had been working together in not-for-profit. And, you know, she was having her first child as well. And um, yeah, I, we just kind of both said, let's do this. And we crazy, crazy enough to do it. Yes. And what year was that? Well, so we first had the idea and started talking about it like really long ago, like 2007. Um, we did not really launch the company until much later. So we sort of had the idea continued on with our careers. And then I think in 2010, we started like baking our recipes in her parents' kitchen. Um, and then bringing them back to the non not for profit and putting them out on the counter and seeing who might pick them up and eat them and which ones got eaten. Um, and then, you know, it was again, m many more years till we really launched, you know, into 2014, basically. So it was a, it's been a very long journey so far, but yeah. many. Yeah. Well, the good ones always are. It's always a, uh, what do they say? It's um, overnight success that took 10 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're putting in our time and I think, yeah. have, you know, six babies, physical babies over the course of the journey between the two of us as two moms. So, um, and, and now with our third co-founder seven and some other children as well. So it's, there's, yeah, there's a lot going on in everyone. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear from you over the journey so far. What, what's been the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur for you? Um, I think the hardest thing, honestly, is the fear of disappointing, you know, either, I mean, my business partner is really my best friend. So I think there's moments where I do feel like it's hard, where I kind of feel a responsibility for like both of our lives and just all that's gone into this and that feeling of like, the moments where I say, what did I get us into? Those are tough. I feel like when I really feel that. Um, and then I think with my children being completely honest, I think that my two oldest kids, like the early years when we were really like figuring things out and I was probably like desperate to do, you know, do anything and everything, which I guess is the true entrepreneur way. But like, you need me on a plane tomorrow? Yes, I'm on it. You need me there or that's what it takes to get it done right. I'll be there. And I think, you know, there was a year that honestly, like, was just really hard where I was on planes, like, every week and actually lost a pregnancy that year. And it was just, it really stunk, you know, and it was painful, honestly. And I, and I feel like I, I look back on that. And I think that that was like, probably the one year that I'm like, Oh, like, why was I going so hard? Um, and I don't know. So it is, it's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I feel like I've learned in this and, um, just, it, it has given me a lot of perspective. I feel like just to keep looking forward and like really, um, 
just know what's worth it and not worth it, maybe like, you know, and not and I don't know that that's what caused even like the pregnancy loss. I mean, that was very, very early in a pregnancy. But, um, but it still like sits with me, to be honest. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you shared that, because I honestly have the exact same feeling. Um, I, I look back at my first two children and in, in their early years. And um, I mean, look, I shed a lot of other things in my life to make room for my business. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think I, I'm definitely more present now. And I think we learned that over time, right? How to focus our time and how to prioritize. Uh, absolutely. And I also think it's like, you know what, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know in parenting and in starting a business in a way. And, and that's a good thing in some ways, because maybe you wouldn't do it do certain parts of it if someone had told you all these things or it would feel like so much. But um, no, I think that the, especially when you do have multiple children, you have the gift with the younger ones to know how sacred that time is, you know, and how quick it goes. So that's right. Yeah. Well, let, let's shift to what I love about your business is that it is truly what I would call uh, a business that's a force for good. Um, and I think that's where, I, th- I, I hope that's where the world is heading. Um, you know, y- you all, first of all, your product and your entire business is focused on um, helping children. Um, and at the same time, you you work with, you know, um, foundations, and I've seen some of the stuff you did during COVID. So I love that you're doing that. Um, that I'm guessing that just had to be inherent with what you were, whatever you were going to do, that it had to be positively contributing to the world, right? Absolutely. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's, um, a not just for profit kind of business. So it's not a nonprofit, I love that. not just a, you know, and I, and I should say Daniel Lebetsky, I think is the one that told me that term early on, but, um, I cannot wait to use that term all the time now. Yeah. Not just for profit. <laughs> That's yeah. so great. Yes. I mean, that kind of needs to be a category of business because you know what? Business and profitability is really important. And um, cr- the job creation, the, I mean, having a profitable business and a pathway to profitability from early on is obviously the key. And um, doing good. I mean, it was actually interesting, I think, for us when we were starting, like Alex and I wanted to weave so many things that I think came from our nonprofit past into the business. And in some ways, we had to say, okay, that's not actually possible right now to do that. You know, just it's, it's, that's the hardest part for us. It's almost like people email and need, can we have blah, 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 number of snacks? And I mean, we're always giving away lots and lots of bitsies. Um, I mean, we've actually given away millions of boxes of bitsies through the years, but, um, it's, it's gotta be structured to do good and to be successful, um, financially. Yeah. The finance and the profit allows you to be successful, which I think is, is key. Um, talk to me about this year, this co or this past year COVID and, um, the way you guys made your way through it, but also some of the good things you guys were able to do. COVID was really tough for Bitsy's, I will say. Um, I think being, and I, and sadly, I watched a lot of small food businesses die during this. Um, I think everyone sort of hears the story of, oh, everyone was just 
stocking up on food and they couldn't, you know, produce it fast enough. And I think that that was really true for a lot of conventional food items. Um, but I think there were a lot of challenges in the food space that have not really gone talked about whether it's been kids having a lack of access to their school and lunch and people going hungry. Um, or again, like small businesses like ours really struggling to get time to produce their products, you know, when the rest of the world is digitally shopping their groceries and kind of typing in those brand names that they can just think of off the tip of their, you know, tongue or that are being populated, auto-populated to the top of their Instacart, you know, and it costs money to be in those that that kind of digital shelf placement is not where you're going to see the small and emerging brands. So I think a lot of brands really struggled. We definitely struggled um, with both production at the beginning of this um, and having to change bakeries um, and going through supply shortages. And then um, that weren't really things that we could have controlled from a planning standpoint. Um, and then also, you know, you're not um, able to go in and maintain your shelf space and merchandise um, or really like check on your products in the same way we couldn't have any of that going on for a long time. So I think for small brands, it was a really it, it, it was tough. I think there's there's somewhere I think it was helpful and they saw a boon from it. Like I know the frozen pizza business. Um, I'm actually in a small group that's kind of a emerging brands group that Coca-Cola sponsors um, and uh, this program that they ran. And there were about 12 of us that were entrepreneurs in it. And honestly, I think everyone said it was tough except for the company that had the frozen pizza. Um, <laughs> so it's it was hard, I think. And those were all brands that were, you know, in well into their business doing, you know, at least a million to 10 million kind of in, in sales. So right. Right. And and I, I meant to say right before this, pretty soon before COVID started is when your your new co founder joined, right? Yes. So right. Can talk about yeah, can talk about that and her and I'd love to know how that happened because I'm a big fan. <laughs> yes. So my really, uh, our amazing new co-founder is Gabrielle Union. And um, she is as fantastic as you you think she is. She truly is the real deal of an amazing human being. Um, she was actually a Bitsy's fan and eating our food, unbeknownst to us, and kind of said, I think she had done a post about it or whatever. And said, people had said, where do you get this? And I think she kind of felt like this is like not even available to my people and I got to make it available to everyone. Like this is to, you know, the world of whole foods or natural shop grocery, like the price point, everything else. Like how could we get the price point down? How could we make it more accessible, more affordable? And she and her team reached out to us and it was just like kindred soulship and um, so we had started a conversation and then actually we were going out to kind of like finalize everything the week that COVID pretty much happened. Um, Cause it wasn't like, you know, it was a journey of conversations and getting to know each other and all that. And then we decided like, yes, let's, we're all in together. And these are, this is our vision and kind of like some shifts and things that we were doing that we felt like were possible together. But I took off from the Atlanta airport and um, I looked over 
her business team, um, some of the team members are at Creative Artist Agency. And I looked at the woman sitting in the seat next to me, and she had a Creative Artist Agency backpack. And I said, oh, do you work at CAA? And she was like, yes, I do. And I said, I'm going there today. And she said, oh, well, you know, our entire office has been shut down. Um, I was like, oh, and the plane takes off. But we we had our meeting and have been, you know, up and running and um, had this time, I think, during COVID, actually, even though there's been the challenges at Shelf, it, I think, gave us a lot of time and space to do the work and reimagining the business together and the products and what we wanted to, to change um, and a lot of things that are very reflective of Gabrielle. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I guess you almost might feel like you have a reboot now heading into 2021. So uh, I know you've got some big plans. Tell me what's exciting for you. Yeah. So I think what's been really great. And I, I, again, back to the, you don't know what you don't know thing. Um, Alex and I never wanted to build a company. We were where we were just selling healthy food to healthy people. Um, It just, I think at the time when we were starting this in a way, when you're starting a business sometimes, and especially in grocery and especially when you don't, you know, know what you're doing um, and are figuring it out and you're at kind of square one, you take the dance partner that asks you to dance maybe a little bit more. Um, And for us, that was much more the natural channel when it came to organics. And um, so we went down this much more natural path, but I think Bitsy's, Bitsy's has always been more focused on like keeping it real, I would say, and like the, the real family and like taste. And um, we're not like, you know, maybe the, the more out there, like it's, it's not everything to all people kind of thing in a check the box down every single dot. And then it's going to cost $40 for a box kind of thing. Um, we've always tried to make it more affordable, but I think scale is a big part of that. Um, so I think in our reimagining, we're actually launching a bunch of new products. Um, Gabrielle's really pushed us hard on taste because she feels like that it's got to taste great. And she feels that honestly, like a lot of her friends and family in the black community are like, that's white people food, she'll say. And, um, when they're going into the healthy category. And um, so taste, 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 and um, price. And so I think we've just made some changes based on taste and price. And then again, keeping it real, keeping it as clean and healthy as we can while balancing access and affordability. Um, So it's been really fun and dreaming up some new products and things like that. Yeah, no, it's gonna it's I, I can feel the energy from you guys when I follow you and um, see what you're putting out there. So I'm excited for the new year. As you think about last year, um, I know there's some things you guys did to help people who couldn't get access to food. Can you talk about just maybe a couple of those things? Yeah, um, a lot of that came from Gab um, and her relationships. Um, but we did a lot of um, we sent a lot of food to LAUSD to Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, and they had kind of a drive through food pickup. So that was a, a majority of our donations went straight to kids that weren't in school and needing food. Um, we did some things locally here with super Jenny and her drive through food donations. Um, and then a lot of other different things like boys and girls clubs in Chicago and, um, 
just different places when they would reach out. You know, we did some um, women and children's shelters when um, the women and children's shelter network in New York City. Um, so it was, I think it was great to be able to direct product into the hands of people that needed it during this. You know what? I love that. One of the things that, um, you know, with Dragon Army, with my company, we, um, we are a purpose-driven company and we certainly try to be a business that, that helps the world. And when we reflected on this past year, you know, our numbers were way down. Um, you know, we, we, we shrunk, we didn't grow. Fortunately, we didn't lose any team members, but our business didn't grow. Um, and yet we helped way more than we ever have because there was more need. And I guess we had a little more free time. Um, and so we were able to reframe the year and say, wait, our purpose is to inspire happiness, you know, and, and here's how we do that. So actually 2020 was the best year we've ever had when you look at it from the amount of good we did with the number of people we have. And so I think it's, you know, I, I would imagine you guys might've had a similar situation last year that while the business was struggling, you probably helped a lot of people, maybe more than you would have because there was more need. That there's the optimist in, in you. So yes, I think it was, it was a good year. And I mean, definitely like Gabrielle joining our team was far and away the most exciting Mm -hmm. that's ever happened. I mean, she's such a force for good that it's like, just, she glows with like goodness, honestly. And, um, so I'm just excited about, I think what we're going to be able to do together with her voice and heart. Well, good. Let, Let me ask you, you talked about it a little bit, you know, the, um, the juxtaposition of building a business while also having a family and actually caring to be with your family. <laughs> so tell me how, how you've been able to get better at that and maybe some advice you might have for other people that, you know, have families, but are looking to start a business. Yeah. Um, I think that the more that we can all be like super honest about it and that that's been, again, I think a great thing about the silver linings. I mean, I always feel weird to say like, there was a great thing about this 2020, but I do think that like the breakdown of, okay, what is everyone's real dynamic at home? It was almost like, you know, the little thing that happened on the BBC where that man was doing the newscast and the kid came in in the little walker and it went viral. It's like that went from being sort of hysterical because it was relatable, but to hysterical because now it's like, we're all there, you know? Um, And I just have always felt like, I don't know, you know, it's, I think being a woman is, and a mother is an interesting dynamic in the workforce. And I think for a dad, you experience it in a a different, unique way, but the, the similarities and pressures are probably slightly different, yet the same, but you know, it's like, you don't want to say, I think historically, no one wanted to ever say like, I've got to do this with my kids, or it seemed like a weakness or something, or that you weren't all in, you know, and I feel like the more that we can make being like present to our kids, okay to talk about and not be like an, Oh, well that person is like, got to pick up carpool right now. Or they're, um, that means they're not all in, you know, or they're not. And and meanwhile, guess what? They're probably like working from their smartphone while they're in the carpool line and have not stopped working. We all never stop working now. So like, we've got to have this time with our kids, you know, but, um, I don't know that I've gotten better at it, to be honest. I think it's really like continues to be a challenge, but I think I just like, 
maybe I just like apologize for it less or I just do it more without like it being a question in my mind kind of thing. I feel like there's a little bit more um, natural prioritization or ability to be okay with that. I don't know if that's. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I mean, I th- I think the other thing I would say is like, I think people are healthier and better at their job when they take the time to be with their family, you know, or take the time to take care of themselves. You know, it's a, yeah. it's not an easy thing for a business leader to see, but if you're starting a company, just, I would say that, know that, you know, that, that your health and peace, peace of mind is critical to how, how effective you'll be. I agree. No. And I think it's, I mean, we were talking about my husband and I feel like he would say this was like the best year of his life, you know, just getting to be here with the kids and to see them when they came home. Cause he's always worked a lot and, um, it's like, you know, who he is and they come in and it's all like fluid, you know, and in a way it's just so good. I mean, I know some people can't wait to, I think, you know, the office culture is important too, but I, I do think like, it's funny. I, I feel like it's, it is a little bit of a challenge sometimes when you're creating a corporate culture to meet the demands of the different demands of those juggling a family at home and children and those who really want that corporate culture family, the family at work too. And so I think, I think finding like a balance where you can meet all of those needs of people in different points in their lives or in different life choices and life paths. Um, it's interesting, but I do feel like this, this zoom life has probably been good for parents and families in some ways, even though I know it's had a lot of challenges too. Yeah. Well, it's that silver lining you talked about. I feel the same way as Al does. I mean, it's, you know, walking upstairs to have lunch. I have lunch with my 10 and 11 year old. Like that never happened. Even if I came home for lunch during the day, they're at school. Right. So it, you know, I, I have definitely leaned in the way, the way it sounds like he has. And so, um, I, I, I see that optimism in this crazy, terrible year we just got through. Yeah. So, all right. Last question. I always love to end with this. Um, talk to me about some of your favorite books of all time can be anything fiction, nonfiction. You read it in, as a kindergartner, you read it yesterday. W- what's your favorite books? Well, now you really opened it up, but yeah, I, I have like, so like I said, I was an English and theater major, so I really do love books and love literature. And I also like laugh because I feel like I just like really struggle to, I struggle to find time to read things other than, I mean, I'm reading Ramona and her mother right now at night, you know, so a lot of the reading is whatever I'm reading with my kids right now. But um, some books that I've loved through the years at different points in my life um, that I think made an impact on me. I remember like being in being in high school. You've probably done this before, but the Enneagram book. I really loved doing this in high school. And I do feel like that was like in a period of life when you're like searching for sort of your identity and like, how am I unique? And like, what are my, what are my gifts? Like that book is, I think, great for that. And probably I'd love to do it again as an adult. So I've kind of hung on to it. I really loved this poetry book, Cotton Candy on a Rainy Day by Nikki Giovanni. I don't know if you ever read this, but her poetry. I didn't, but somebody else recommended that to me. I love reading poetry and I don't do that that often anymore. I don't know. And um, recent, recently I've been reading these. So I think since we're talking about parents, this is one of my favorite parenting authors, I have to say, Dr. Leonard Sachs. So these are current things that I've been reading, which I think are very 
parenting in today's world is definitely unique. And he had some really great books, Girls on the Edge, um, Boys Adrift, just very fascinating in terms of how technology is impacting our children and how to parent through these different, you know, changing things that are so much a part of our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really, I've enjoyed those books. Those are good recommendations. I'll have to yeah. check those out. What about, was there a fiction book in your past, maybe as a, in high school or college that just like grabbed you? I mean, a lot, there were a lot, I have to say I, in college, I loved reading Shakespeare. I'm like, a, this, this sounds crazy, but I am actually a huge Shakespeare nerd. I, I took out my Shakespeare book to show you what a Shakespeare is. Holy cow, that's a massive book. Like falling apart but this I mean it literally is falling apart but I just really spent a lot of time reading Shakespeare which sounds kind of bizarre but I loved the process of finding like the current this is the current story in it I loved performing Shakespeare in current like context where you would sort of translate it I think the stories are really the human experiences are so timeless, you know, so I love reading things where you can translate it to any point in time. And I think Shakespeare's stories are unique in that way. So kind of, all right. That's a good, yeah, (laughs) that's a good one to end on. I'll tell you a quick story. When we went to Edinburgh with our family in 2018, we spent a month. um, And one of the things we did was we found that there was this um, traveling acting troupe that was performing Hamlet. And, um, we went out, um, we like took the bus and went, I don't know, an hour and a half outside of the city. And, um, in the back of this little castle, we all set out on this grass, you know, field, I don't know, maybe a hundred, 150 people came and this six person troop did Hamlet. And I think it was the highlight of my entire month. It was so awesome. Yes. That is so, so, so cool. That's, I actually, Edinburgh is one of the, I was there when Princess Diana passed away, actually, because I was studying over there in, in London, doing a Shakespeare theater program of all things. Unbelievable. But yeah, that's an amazing place. And I know, I know what you mean, that it, that would be a highlight for me too. Yeah, super cool. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me. I honestly just wanted to catch up. It'd been a little while. So we did it. We made a podcast, but um, let me know how I can help. How can other people help? If Is there anything that you would ask of people? Um, just please spread the word about Bitsies. And I think, you know, if you have a school event or something where you need snacks, like I said, we are always giving, giving away snacks to great causes that also help spread the word about the brand. Um, and then also you can get us online and eat our snacks. I mean, I think that's what a snack food company person has to say, eat my snacks, please. I mean, honestly, they're healthy, but they're super delicious. So I'm going to echo that. Well, thanks again. It was so great to see you. So good to see you too, Jeff. Thank you so much. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. 
and I really do appreciate you listening. <laughs>